Welcome to The Potter Scholar. I am your host, Natasha Burge, and together we will be taking a scholarly approach to the Harry Potter books. I have a PhD in creative writing and spent many years in academia studying literature, and here we will explore various aspects of the books to celebrate the magic they have given us. And if you want to know more about The Potter Scholar or support the podcast, please check out the link to my Patreon in the episode description. Wands out! Welcome back to The Potter Scholar. Today is a deep dive episode, and it's an episode that gets to the heart of The Potter Scholar podcast. I'm going to be discussing the use of fantasy literature in modern life. This is a well-trodden path that the greatest minds in fantasy have pioneered long before now, and we'll be coming back to this topic again and again throughout this podcast. To start, though, I want to turn to a foundational essay by J.R.R. Tolkien, the author, of course, of The Lord of the Rings. This essay of his is entitled On Fairy Stories, which is considered a landmark in its field and a touchstone for scholarly endeavor regarding fantasy. On Fairy Stories is the most reprinted of all Tolkien's critical writings after his essay on Beowulf. In this essay on fairy stories, which was published in 1947 and was based on a lecture Tolkien gave in 1939, Tolkien explores the philosophical basis for why he believed the fantasy genre was so powerful and beneficial. In this essay, there are a few central topics I want to relate to the Harry Potter series to make the case for how well these books fulfill the potential of the fantasy genre to make our lives and the world a better place. To set the stage, though, for the environment in which Tolkien gave this initial lecture and in which this essay was subsequently published, we need to talk a little bit about both Tolkien and C.S. Lewis, who was the author of, among much else, The Chronicles of Narnia, and what they hope to accomplish with their fiction. We still, uh, we will have a, a more in-depth episode coming up specifically about Tolkien and Lewis and the Inklings and the medieval worldview and fantasy literature, but for this episode, I will give a quick overview. John Ronald Rule Tolkien and Clive Staples Lewis were British authors born at the end of the Victorian era. They both experienced deep tragedy as children, as Tolkien lost both his father and his mother when he was young, and Lewis lost his mother. As boys, they were brilliant academically, and they loved the fairy stories of their day, what we would now probably call fantasy. As young men, they both served bravely in World War I, one of the most gruesome conflicts in the modern era, the horrors of which are woven throughout their writing. And eventually they both found jobs teaching at Oxford University, which is an ancient institution founded in 1096. Lewis taught English literature and Tolkien taught Anglo-Saxon, and they became close friends and they influenced one another's work and life quite a bit, including famously Tolkien playing a key role in Lewis's conversion to Christianity. The interwar period in England between the First and Second World Wars, during which time Tolkien and Lewis began their Oxford careers, was a time when it seemed like all of the old ways, all of the things that people had been able to count on, were dissolving. The old class structure, which was very rigid and very important in England, was disintegrating. There were revolutions all across Europe. 
Industrialization was transforming the English countryside. Urbanization was increasing as people were forced to leave their traditional farming communities and move to big cities to work in factories and shops, where oftentimes they lived atomized, lonely lives. People's religious beliefs were beginning to fade, and the moral framework of society was changing quite rapidly as social norms gave way. The changes during this time period had huge impacts on art and literature as well, which Tolkien and Lewis, as writers and university professors and scholars, were seeing unfold right in front of them. This was a time when modernism was in vogue in literature. And what modernism is, is a type of writing that consciously breaks with tradition in order to express the dynamically changing time period. It experiments with form, it eschews traditional narratives, authors often disdained things like plot and happy endings, and wanted to reveal what they saw as life's fundamental ambivalence and lack of meaning. Lewis and Tolkien and their band of fellows, the Inklings, of whom we will speak more in a later episode, saw many of these developments as deeply troubling. C.S. Lewis spoke and wrote quite a bit about what he viewed as the negative consequences of the modern age. In fact, he argued that those of us alive today are radically divided from the people that came before us due to the scientific revolution. In this regard, a person living in 1500 AD had more in common with someone living in 500 AD than we today have in common with someone living just a few centuries ago. The scientific revolution gave way to a worldview that, for the first time in history, likened the world to a machine and saw those of us in it as largely meaningless. Lewis and Tolkien were not anti-science, but they believed that a purely materialist, rationalist perspective had drained society of meaning and led to an epidemic of nihilistic despair. They also believed that robbing the world of its mythic importance allowed industrialization and environmental destruction to run rampant. Looking at the ills of the modern world, Tolkien and Lewis saw what they considered to be a machine-like mentality that they saw as draining both beauty and meaning from the world and corrupting our language, our morals, and our imaginations. They believed that because of the dominant rationalist materialist mindset in which the only things that mattered were those that could be objectively quantified, that the world had been disenchanted. Whereas before the rise of modernity, people had lived in a world that was saturated with mythic intelligence, to Tolkien and Lewis, the modern age was one that was creatively and morally barren, and they both wanted to do something to resist this. One of the main ways they wanted to do this was through imaginative literature. Tolkien and Lewis both believed that fantasy in particular could help awaken our perspective to the wonder in the world around us. It was a way of remembering, as it were, a worldview in which there was more than meets the eye, a worldview in which more mattered than just what could be accounted for rationally, a worldview where there was, to put it simply, space for the numinous. In their writing, among much else, they wanted to reawaken our longing for transcendence. At this time period, there was an interesting mix of opinions on fairy stories, or what we today would likely call fantasy. In popular culture, they were having a moment in the sun. People were interested in them and couldn't get enough of them, in fact. But the literary and academic worlds 
we're not ones that were open to this kind of thing. Fantasy literature, fairy stories, all of that was considered childish and silly. Definitely not something that professors in an elite university should be wasting their time on. So Tolkien and Lewis devoted a not inconsiderable amount of time to advocating for why it was that fantasy was not just important, but something vital for a person, whether they were a child or an adult. And this brings us to Tolkien's lecture slash essay on fairy stories. Tolkien begins this work by defining a fairy story as a story told about a human in the realm of fairy. As Tolkien admits, defining fairy, or a fantasy world, is not an easy proposition. He says fairy can't be caught in a net of words because one of its main characteristics is to be indescribable, though not imperceptible. It has many ingredients, but analysis will not necessarily discover the secret of the whole. And he goes on to say that fairy itself may perhaps most nearly be translated by magic, but it is a type of magic of a peculiar mood and power. So, while Tolkien may not have given a perfectly concrete definition of fairy stories, I think his intention is one that I agree with. You'll know fantasy when you see it. He then goes on to define who these stories are for. Tolkien was adamant that these stories are not just for children, but for people of any age. His contention that fantasy was for adults would actually come to revolutionize our way of thinking about this genre. In fact, Tolkien gave this lecture after he had published The Hobbit, but before he published The Lord of the Rings. And we know that he did have some qualms about The Hobbit being written specifically for children, which is one reason why The Lord of the Rings is written more for adults. This essay really reflects an interesting phase in Tolkien's thinking about his own work, and we get to see how it bears fruit later in his career. Moving on in the essay, Tolkien explained that fantasy, in his belief, is a natural human activity. He says it's born of our desire to survey the depths of space and time, search for truth, and hold communion with other living things. Tolkien believed that as man was created in God's image, we have a desire to be sub-creators, using refracted light to paint our own worlds. Tolkien then uses a brilliantly vivid image to depict the churning medley of influences that authors draw from when they are writing their fantasy stories. He terms this vast reservoir of influences the cauldron of story, which is a mixture of all the ingredients from history and legend and myth that goes on imaginatively simmering and simmering, and from which each story told draws from. It is the cauldron of story that Rowling would have pulled from when writing Potter. This is where she would have found the elements of Greek myth, and Arthurian grail legend, and the writing of Dante, and the Christian narrative trajectory, not to mention elements from detective and mystery novels, school stories, and classics of 19th century British literature. All of that and more went into Potter. And of course, one of the genius aspects of the Potter series is that throughout, while Rowling is drawing from these genres, she also subverts them and their tropes in delightful ways. Now, we come to what I think is the heart of the essay, the four critical elements that Tolkien believed fairy stories offered to the world. Fantasy, escape, recovery, and consolation. Fantasy, as Tolkien believed, is a natural human activity. 
He considered it actually a higher form of art, nearly pure, and when done well, the most potent. One element that defines fantasy, according to Tolkien, is a resting strangeness, something that makes it decidedly not of our everyday, mundane world. There are, for example, dragons or wizards or portals to other lands. Fantasy is used to do something that Tolkien suggests is akin to elvish enchantment. With this form of enchantment, writers of fantasy can create secondary, internally consistent worlds for themselves and their readers to venture into. The next point raised is escape. It was, and still is, common for fantasy literature to be dismissed as mere escapism. Tolkien argued that the world that surrounds us is often harsh, demeaning, and artificial. In one of my favorite quotes from Tolkien, in this essay, he makes a statement about modernity that I think is so powerful. He says, it is indeed an age of improved means to deteriorated ends. This touches on the thinking of Jacques Ellul, a French philosopher that I will speak about in a later episode this season. And the fact that our society is now dominated by the question of how things will be done, not if they should be done, among much else. Tolkien believed we were all acutely conscious of the ugliness of so much of our contemporary way of living, and that a longing to escape to something more beautiful was entirely understandable. Critically, Tolkien suggested that in fantasy, the reader could find more permanent and fundamental things to experience. The modern world is fickle and full of passing fads and artifice. So in reading fantasy, someone could find a world of meaning. And as I suggested in the first episode, fantasy literature shows us worlds of ontological fullness, places where things matter as much as we intuitively know they should. With this in mind, the human longing to escape to a world of fantasy in which there is meaning and courage, self-sacrifice and beauty should not be disdained. As Tolkien famously writes in this essay, why should a man be scorned if, finding himself in prison, he tries to get out and go home? That brings us to the next point Tolkien makes in this lecture slash essay, recovery. So in day-to-day life, our senses become dulled to the beauty that surrounds us. We often get so caught up in paying bills, cooking dinner, doing chores, going to work, that we become numb to the potential for beauty and transcendence in our lives. As Brian Atbury writes in his book, Strategies of Fantasy, Tolkien saw the necessity of penetrating illusion. And Tolkien saw this illusion as being perpetrated by boredom, habit, false sophistication, and loss of faith. These illusions would build up over time to make the world around us seem trite or stale. Tolkien believed that because of fantasy's arresting strangeness, it could help us to recover a clear view of the world and appreciate it once more. We could venture into these fantastical worlds and be confronted with a radiant sense of meaning. We could see courage and beauty and loyalty. And this experience would hone our perception so that we could return again to our daily life. And amid the humdrum reality, our senses would be sharper so that we could see the potential for making our own world as beautiful as the world we had just experienced. 
As Tolkien said, we should look at green again and be startled anew. That brings us to consolation. Tolkien ended his lecture by discussing the consolation offered by fantasy literature, which he saw as meeting the human need for comfort and hope in light of the difficulties of this world, most especially death itself. This is not to say, though, as is sometimes accused of fantasy, that it's like a fluffy, soft world. This isn't to say, though, that there isn't hardship and danger in fantasy, because that's just not true. If you read any if you read any fantasy book, there is very real danger. The, the thing is, though, in fantasy, we can be assured that suffering is redeemed by meaning. Tolkien believed that a critical fantasy element was the moment in the tale when all hope is lost. And suddenly, through a miraculous grace that cannot be counted on to happen again, all is put right. He termed this moment eucatastrophe and believed it gave the reader, quote, a fleeting glimpse of joy, joy beyond the walls of the world, poignant as grief. Tolkien finished his essay by sharing his belief that the birth of Jesus Christ was the eucatastrophe of man's history. According to him, the Evangelium did not abrogate legends, it hallowed them. This essay of Tolkien's is a touchstone in the field of fantasy literature. It is a beautiful and succinct argument by one of the 20th century's most influential authors that fantasy literature is indeed literature, high art in fact, potent and resplendent with value. I would suggest to anyone, read the essay for yourself. It is definitely worth it. But let us ask ourselves, Should Harry Potter be considered a fairy story? On Tolkien's criteria, as Amy Sturgis has argued, the answer is yes, because the story is an encounter with fairy, by which we mean an enchanted realm, full of magic and meaning, where the magic is taken seriously, and it satisfies primordial human desires, and the four gifts of the fairy story, fantasy, recovery, escape, and consolation are provided in abundance. In her 2008 Harvard commencement address, Rowling quoted Plutarch when she said, what we achieve inwardly will change outer reality. This is a key to understanding why it is that fantasy is so important. And I think it builds beautifully on Tolkien's ideas from his essay on fairy stories. As we follow along with our hero, imaginatively experiencing the hardship they must face and courageously overcome as they become better people, so too can we. Through escape, recovery, and consolation, we can bring back these gifts into the so-called real world that lies outside the pages of books. This, to me, is one of the deepest, most lasting powers of fantasy literature. Until next time, happy reading. And if you want to know more about The Potter Scholar or support the podcast, please check out the link to my Patreon in the episode description.